Uh, we're continuing in our People of God series, where we look at this big picture idea of the Lord having a people, desiring to have a people for himself, from Genesis to Revelation. And that's something we're going to see in our study coming up, too. But God's desire has always been to have a people for himself. And today I'm going to read uh, our passage, and then uh, we will illuminate it as we go through the sermon today. This is Hebrews 10, 19. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, open for us through the curtain that is his body. Talk about the meaning of communion there, right? That's really, really cool. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart, with the full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience, and having our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. We sang that earlier. He who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. As I said, over the last couple of weeks, we've been looking at this idea, this vision of God, to have a people for himself, a spiritual house, which God makes into his dwelling place. That's what, that's what it says. He would tabernacle with us in this house that he builds with his people. Think about that. I mean, it's a mind-blowing concept that he's building a house for himself from us where he intends to inhabit and fill. It's an amazing thing. And then the word that we read a couple weeks ago says that God expertly stacks us up like living stones, living stones, with Jesus Christ as the chief cornerstone holding the entire house together. The walls, the ceiling, the floor, Jesus is the one that holds the whole thing together. And he calls us a spiritual house, which means an inhabited place for God. So we accept by faith every week that we gather here, at least I do, and I suggest that you do, that we gather like this, present ourselves to God, and we, we can expect God to visit us. We can expect God to inhabit us and make his home among us, and to minister to one another through his powerful presence. It's not a magical thing, but it is a substantial thing, and it's just an essential thing. I find that many times uh, I often hear God's voice more clearly in a corporate worship setting. I sense his presence in, in a way that I don't sense it any other time in my life when we come together as a body of Christ like this and sing and worship. I find it um, easier to, to confess and repent of my sin in a, in a public worship setting at times and to, and to, and to minister to, to other people and be ministered to by other people. Gathering as the church is how God equips us to minister and move in our world. We are, we are built to be a house that is built up and equipped to minister for God in the world. And we are meant to be a, a house, a spiritual house, for his presence um, to, to fill. And we are meant to, as that passage says, to spur each other on towards love and good deeds, all kinds of things. Spur each other on to grow, to inspire one another. Sometimes in church, I'm, inspi I'm in simply inspired by someone's faith and hearing their story and what they're doing. But we are meant to do that for everybody uh, every week. So in summary of this idea, God's house is 0% a building. Exactly 0% a building. 
and 100% of people which make up God's dwelling place. So when 51 Old Gick Road is empty, God's presence is not manifest here at that time, most of the time. But when his people come together, his presence is manifested. And of course, God can do whatever he wants, whenever he wants. So I'm not confining him to this idea. But I'm saying this is what he said to do, to gather together, to expect to be indwelled. I slow down in these kind of concepts because they're so mind-blowing that you really have to take them in and think about them. God is zero, God's house is 0% building, 100% people. During the time between March 2020, which you are all very familiar with that month, and the present day, I've had more conversations with people asking the question, why church? Why church? Why, why come together? And I've had that conversation more than any other time in my life. A lot of that comes about as I call people and talk to them on the phone or find out, hey, are you still there? <laughs> you know, we, ha- we had this, this shutdown and I, and I haven't seen you in a while. Um, and I ask people, are you, coming, are you going to be coming back to worship with us here? Some of the people I talk to have found that gathering as the church feels more important than ever, even essential. When we were not able to meet in person, you know, these people were literally pained every week. And not just because they were intro- extroverts, you know. It's because they, they craved what coming together as a body is like. They wanted to come back together as soon as possible and saw the value of gathering and worshiping God together. Other people decided that gathering as the church was not essential to them anymore. That's something that people, people decide. And it, it was, it's even been expressed to me that when we gather together, it's, isn't it sort of a waste of time? Their argument is that all that's going on in the world, all the good versus evil, light versus dark, truth versus lies, all, all that needs to be done, why are we wasting our time gathering unless we are going to do something, do something significant? And that, that could be, uh, could be any, 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 any issue that is important to Christians and maybe should be important to Christians. Um, we, should, we should gather together only if we're going to accomplish something to fight in this epic battle. So if, if the gathered church is not pushing to make a difference through some particular form of activism when they gather, then it's considered a waste of time and not very important to gather for worship. And it's not wrong for, to desire the church to gather to do activism or various causes, but gathering is how God says we get equipped to minister to the world. And so these gatherings are meant to be essential to do anything outside of here. You know, you can't, you can't say, I'm part of the, the big C church, but not your little C church anymore, and expect to grow spiritually. Still others were, were sporadic attendees before the pandemic, but they have felt God stir in their lives, and he's spoken to them just through, through the way that we all slowed down, and they found that coming to worship and being together with the body of Christ is essential. They want to do it more. They're excited. They're They're inspired. They're feeling God's call to minister and be ministered to. I respect that every person is on their own journey. And for various reasons, everyone holds different perspectives on gathering as a church as to why it is or isn't important or essential for them. I understand people are on a journey. But sometimes what people say and share is not their destination, but just where they're at right now. There's nothing wrong with that. But that being said, I want to say that gathering as a large group for worship each Sunday morning and preferably also in a small group during the week is not optional, but is completely essential. 
completely essential. And I say this not as your pastor whose interest it is for this church to be full of people and to keep this ministry going, but because it's God's truth in the Bible. It only hurts people in their faith to cease to gather as the church because that is how God has ordained his people to work and work out their salvation together. If we don't gather as the church, I have never seen that go well for someone that decides not to gather as the church anymore. It just, it's a lie we tell ourselves. Gathering as a church is how we, we get formed into a church in the first place. It's this unseen work that we, we receive by faith that the Holy Spirit is binding us all together as a family and making us into a functional body of Christ, a spiritual house for him to make his dwelling and to impact the world. We must be together to be formed by God, to be sharpened as iron sharpens iron. And we must encourage each other daily and challenge each other to keep on growing and moving and being the body of Christ. God is so much bigger than our current political climate, bigger than the problems of the world, bigger than our lives and our small ideas about him or his church. And just because the world has changed or your life has changed, it doesn't mean that gathering to worship our great God, ministering to one another, hearing a message from God's word, his word, and gathering with our fellow church members for mutual building up has ceased to be important. I think, I think uh, when we come together, even if we don't explicitly talk about this cause or that cause or this idea or that idea, just coming together is doing something in the church. Coming together in the mindset that God is going to build us into something. It's essential. and it always has been. Some of the issue we have with, with the church and gathering as a church results in just the way that language is used. You know, we have, when we say church, we have a few different things that come to mind. One is going to church, which means going to the building, 51 Old Gick Road. People say that, going to church. People talk about doing church. You know, they say, you know, when I worship in my car with God on the way to work, I'm doing church, you know. When I, when I read the Bible, I'm doing church. Maybe with my, with my family, I'm doing church. And the third meaning is gather as the church or assemble the members who make a congregation. And I think that oftentimes that third meaning of church is used the least in our modern talking about the church. But in Greek, the word for church is ekklesia, which means the people of God are gathering. The people of God are gathering. It's an assembly of Christians gathered for worship in the name of Jesus. The people of God are gathering. In, in one of the first translations of the Bible, um, Matthew 16, 18 was translated, Upon this rock I will build my congregation. Isn't that interesting? Upon, and I think that was used because of the misunderstanding that language gives us. Uh, when we say church, we think about the organization when, when Jesus talks about it, he's talking about his people. Upon this rock I will build my congregation. But church is not a facility. Church is not a place where you attend a wedding or a funeral. It's not a place where we behave more carefully than we do outside of the church for fear that we will look a certain way if we don't. It's not a place where non-believers can come and just get vaporized by the glory of the Lord. Like a lot of people say, I would never step foot in a church. I wouldn't darken the doorstep of a church because I would just disintegrate. No, that, that's not what the church is. 
if that were the case, then churches that rent out a high school auditorium for their services would have a lot of trouble. You know, it would be this, uh, this unholy place, you know, or whatever that we gather. And like, how, how can God make this holy? No, what makes it holy is the people that come in Jesus' name. And the moment that the people of God gather together, the Holy Spirit dwells among them, making them his temple. But once we start viewing our, our church facility, our building, instead of the people of this church as the church, we start to create an idol and disconnect from the true meaning of the church in God's mind. So that, again, that Greek word, ekklesia, the people of God are gathering. This, this word actually plays a really important role in the whole Bible, including the Old Testament. The Old Testament was originally in Hebrew, but then as around the time of Jesus, when people started speaking Greek more normally, they translated the Hebrew Old Testament into Greek. It was called the Septuagint. And uh, the, Greek, the Greek term, ekklesia, you know, the people of God are gathering, was used in that translation by first century Christians who knew what they were talking about because they had been around Jesus and the disciples. So when they translated Numbers 26, um, where, where God says to Moses, take the staff and assemble the congregation, you and Aaron, your brother, and, and tell the rock before their eyes to yield its water. When it, when it said that, it says, take the staff and assemble the ecclesia, in the, in, in the, in, even in the Old Testament. So the people of God in the New Testament, the Old Testament, in the present, it means God's people are gathering. We're gathering together physically. And as a people of the Bible, as a people of the book, we have the, the, the opportunity to reclaim this word for church, this, this, the gathered church of Christ, and make sure that it's not hijacked, talking about a location, talking about an organization, because in the end of the day, the building adds zero to the church. It's a great opportunity to have this space and to use it for, the, for ministry, but it really adds zero percent to the church. The quality of the church is the people. And the number of people in the church is not the issue either. The quality of church is the people and people that have a vision for being a part of the body. If we have 10 people that want to be part of the body of Christ and they do that every week, it would be better than 1,000 people who are watching. You know? So I like the word church, but I'd rather we said the people of God are gathering. The ecclesia. It's the local, regular gathering of believers who have submitted and committed themselves to one another in the church and to God that is the church. I've heard other people talk about the church as the universal church. And this is something that was pointed out recently to me. Uh, I'm part of the Big C Church. I don't need to be part of a local congregation of the church. And people are right. People are right in saying that the Big C Church, the universal church, is a thing. But the books of the New Testament are not written largely to the Big C Church at all. They're written to specific congregations. The book of Acts is written to uh, the churches in Jerusalem. It's about the work, the work of the Spirit in Antioch, in Cyprus, in Iconium, in Lystra. Macedonia, Malta, Rome, and other places, the book of Acts. And so many New Testament books are written to specific churches. That's why they're called things like Corinthians, because it's sent to the Corinthians out there in Corinth. The Galatians, the Ephesians, the Philippians, the Colossians. These are bodies of Christ. These are called out people. The people of God are gathering in these specific places. It's not 
an excuse to not be part of a local congregation because you're part of the Big C Church. You have to be part of a local congregation in order to hear from God, be connected in a specific context. And I think the Bible 100% expects people to be part of a local church. That's what it expects based on these things. A church is 100% made up of the congregation and 0% anything else. The people of God are gathering. The local church, the people of God gathering together, is meant, according to 2 Corinthians 5.20, to be ambassadors for Christ. So if you want to think about the church, you could say that what we experience when we gather together in worship, it is a picture of the, of the, church, of the church of God, the big, the big picture thing that God is doing for the world to see ambassadors. The church exists as a small representation of God's kingdom in a foreign land, in a place that we don't belong. We don't fully belong. We're aliens and strangers. We're in the world and not of it. And the church together is meant to be a picture, an embassy of ambassadors for the kingdom of God. So that when someone comes and visits our church gathering this morning in worship, they can sense God's presence, hear his voice, they can see a little bit of heaven in the people of God. And I, th- I think that's something we'd all like to see, a little bit more of heaven among the people of God. And some people would say the opposite when they think about going to church, but let's not be that place, right? A little bit of heaven in a foreign land. And all of this brings me back to where we started from Hebrews 10. And I wanted to talk about all of that before we read this passage again, because I think that We have to have the right kind of eyes to see what this is really saying before we read it. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way opened for us through the curtain that is his body, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart, with the full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from the guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day approaching. So if you are part of this church this local congregation that's part of God's bigger church. He encourages that church in verse 22. Let us together draw near to God with sincere hearts, full assurance of faith. Let us together have our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Think about the the sacrament of the the Lord's table. Coming together and, and thinking about the washing and the cleansing of our conscience together in Jesus, that we would hold unswervingly to the hope we profess because he who promised is faithful. And perhaps most telling, let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. Even at the time when Paul wrote this letter, people were forsaking fellowship with one another. And if you are part of New Life Fellowship and you are 
safety is no longer a concern for you, it's time to come back to church. It's time to become a part of what God is doing. It's time to not give up meeting together, as many are in the habit of doing for various reasons, because they feel the church is irrelevant. They feel the church has nothing to say in the modern world. It's time for us to come back together in God's presence and consider how we might spur one another on towards love and good deeds. And I say, the weekend worship, a small group, these things are all completely necessary for spiritual growth in the world in which we live. So as the worship team comes forward, I have some questions. How do you see yourself in relation to the local church? Are you a part of the body or merely an observer of the body? Do you take pride in having a function within the church? Or have you, have you identified your function in the church yet, your gifts, your, what you're called to do? And if knowing that it is the people who are called to be the church, knowing that it is the people who are called to be the church, how might that change the way you think about church? What should your involvement look like? What sort of duty do you have to the local church? And the desire is that we would be a house, a spiritual house for God, in which we are together an embassy of God's kingdom to the world so they might know the presence, the voice, the power of Jesus. We'd be a people of the scriptures, a people of community who get close, to each other, close enough to each other's lives that we can actually um, sharpen them and be sharpened by them in our lives. Not giving up meeting together, but all the more as we see the day approaching, building up one another, encouraging one another, spurring each other on to love and good works. So as the church, let's sing this song together. And, in, uh, and next week we'll have so many opportunities just to plug into the body to really take responsibility for, uh, for each other's spiritual growth and to be the church that we're called to be. As the Lord taught his disciples to pray, may your kingdom come, may your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And I would add, in New Life Fellowship, that we might be an embassy for you to show forth your glory to the world, that our unity would demonstrate the truth of Christ's resurrection power to this world in which we live. I bless you to go and be the church. We'll see you next week. You are dispersed.